I think the directionality of the internet's about to be reversed. Like, you know, it's like, like when polls switch on a planet, right? It seems like if, if there's so much content generated, the only way to get through it is to use some sort of aggregator. Classically, that was Google, but it might flip to be something like a perplexity, right? Or an AI agent like Arc Browser and Arc Search. Welcome to the season two premiere of Unsolicited Feedback. First off, we'd like to thank you for your patience as you wait for this first episode to drop. We had a couple of issues in the last week, but we are ready to go here, and we have a great slate of guests lined up for the following weeks. This week in our season premiere, we have Aaron White, who is both an old friend of myself and Brian's and someone that we always turn to when we want to think about what the next five to 10 years of technological development might look like, because Aaron's a big thinker and he's always looking many, many years ahead. In this first episode, we share a couple of different concepts. He calls the great cacophony, the deep isolation, and the weird re-relation. And we think about how, looking forward at these possible futures, some of which might seem a little dystopian to you or to others, can help shape how you think about product building in the next two to three years. In the second part of our episode, we dive deep on a couple of different products that we think are and aren't fitting into this longer future. With AI, things are moving very, very quickly, and we think if you don't take a long view to what you're building, you're probably not going to be successful. We hope you enjoy these two episodes. The second one will drop in just a couple of days, and our conversation here with Aaron White, most recently CTO at Vendor. Thanks. I actually don't know how you two first met. Oh. How did you two first meet? Okay. I know. I remember how we first met. I'm curious if you remember how we first met, Aaron. Let you go I'll first, Fareed, and we'll see if it matches. Okay. So <laughs> I was leaving Pixar and coming to Boston in order to join a startup. And we knew that we were moving to Boston. I wasn't sure exactly what companies. So I started following a bunch of blogs, Tumblrs, Twitter accounts of people in the Boston startup scene. And one of the people I came across was Aaron. And so when I joined Conduit Labs and signed with them finally to move to Boston, I was like following people, I think on Tumblr and Aaron was working at an animation oriented startup at the time. And so I like came across his Tumblr and I think I just called the email to him and was like, hey, I am a person who likes the same things as you. We should hang out. And it turned out his friend Adam worked at Conduit. And eventually he referred our mutual friend, Matt Langer, to Conduit, who I interviewed and then ended up hiring. And so these are all the different ways in which we are connected. And Langer has actually worked with Aaron on future startups since then. And Matt was at our place in Tahoe for a week and a half <laughs> at Christmas time. Like, I have a slight refinement on this. Yeah, please. Slight refinement on this because I, I felt burned at the time was I remember referring Adam and Langer to that startup. And there was a bounty for referring great technical talent that got hired, which I don't recall ever getting paid. And, you know, one wonders what sort of future <laughs> I might have put all that into Bitcoin. We have no you idea. Probably, you would have put that all in the ETH. That's yeah, exactly right. You know, yeah. like <laughs> no, but, uh, but uh, well, here's, here's the real test. Do you, Free, do you remember the name of that animation startup that Aaron was working okay, on? Okay. So I. I don't know if it's doink or doink, <laughs> but it's one of the two. It's a word that I've never said out loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you've never said it out loud. Yes, it is spelled. It is spelled that way. 
That was a super fun time in startups because there was so much creativity. No one knew what to do with the web. And, and so it was colorful. It was dynamic. It was experimental. It was social, just dramatically different than what I feel today now that we've coalesced on a few different social streams. Yeah. Super fun time. And actually, Fareed, just to blow some smoke here, but, but I mean it. You were one of those early people in Boston that I met that inspired me of like, oh, being in tech is actually the right choice. You get to meet incredibly energetic, smart makers. And that was so friggin' cool. So thank you. I appreciate that. Same back at you. I remember being deeply intimidated when I was coming in because I was like, I'd never made a website. People are like, Tumbling about the cool tech stuff they're building, all this stuff. I really want to. I really hope that Tumblr still exists. Does it still exist? It might. You know what's really funny about that? Do you know who did my design for my Tumble log? The founder of Giphy. So, like, super small world dynamics here. The other thing I've been thinking about, and I was just talking with somebody about this, is I don't think I would do that today. The world was small enough, and I was naive enough to just email random people on the internet that I found interesting. And I don't know if it's because like you mentioned, like social networks have coalesced and there's personalities and startups are a real thing. Like it's just so hard to remember that raising VC and doing a startup, especially in Boston in 2007 was a pretty small community. I used to just like email founders all the time. Because I was like trying to figure out how to break into startups and like sometimes they'd respond. That's how I met Nabil. That's how I met a bunch of different VCs for the first time. That's how I met you, Aaron. It was just like cold reaching out to people. And I've been thinking about whether I need to start doing that again. I would encourage it. You know, now that I'm doing something new, it requires building a team, building a community, learning from others. Cold DMing people on Twitter, honestly, has been surprisingly, shockingly effective to meet Hmm. folks. And I know there's younger folks who are trying to break into the industry that say that all the time. And then I take for granted my network. But now that I'm expanding, I'm like, this actually does work. All right. Yeah. How did you two meet? Well, I was was going to close the loop (laughs) on this one. Brian was my version of a celebrity connection (laughs) in Boston. And he's laughing. I'm doing a dorky little animation startup with a weird name. He was doing one of the only VC-backed consumer social things in Boston at the time, Viximo. And I remember thinking, man, what a smart dude, what success. And I had befriended this ultra networker in Boston. We all know Chris Keller. And he invited me over to his apartment where they were actually roommates. And I got to meet the Brian Balfour who gave me like 30 (laughs) seconds of his time because you were like, I'm tired. I needed a burrito. I got to go. So that was a little underwhelming for me. But we actually ended up- I was eating a burrito? You were about to get a a burrito. I think you were maybe going to- I was going to go get a burrito. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. But we later ended up working together. We started a textbook company, digital textbooks, trying to disrupt textbooks. And I think what was interesting there is Brian had the single best insight in the company, which was, we should shutter this. Don't pursue higher education and go after professional education. And the other two of us were like, nah. And then that company went nowhere. And meanwhile, Brian said more interesting things. So small world. It's nice to have worked with Brian before. And we tried to make a go of it once again about a decade ago. I appreciate the glowing story, but you left out the most important part of us meeting, which was after meeting the first time, I thought Aaron was real weird and Aaron thought I was just an asshole. So <laughs> we're both right. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Both of those things might be true. <laughs> okay, let's just finish the circle here just because we're having fun Boston stories. 
I knew of you in Boston. We worked on similar companies, but I don't think we actually really got to know each other, me and you, Brian, until we both moved out to the Bay Area around the same time. I think you reached out because you were doing early Reforge stuff and we connected around uh interview for Reforge for Zynga. Was that the first time we were like really spent time together or did we kind of like maybe a dinner before that at the most? <sighs> It's a good question. This is one that, you know, if we had an AI hooked up to our Gmails, we yeah. could probably query it very quickly and, and ask, but that's probably right. I'm sure we probably met and ran into each other at some kind of Boston event, tech event, because yeah. I remember meeting with Nabil on a fairly regular basis, but I think that's roughly accurate. Yeah. Let's go with that story. Yeah. Let's go with that story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Aaron, just for folks who don't really know you, you've alluded to a few of these things. But like, you've been a multi-time founder, you've done a bunch of different stuff. Walk us through the quick version of your story, ending with what you're planning on doing now. Keep it quick. Well, we can skip the animation and the textbook thing. We've covered that enough, and I don't want to go into that anymore. After that, I spent a couple years in VC learning exactly how painful it is to say no to, to founders rather than be building directly yourself. So we can skip that too. You know, the interesting things was I helped found Price Intelligently, which later became ProfitWell, which sold a couple of years ago to Paddle. And that was just an observation that software pricing is hard and there's going to be a lot of software companies that need help pricing. And then that turned into SaaS metrics. And the other interesting thing was starting the sort of the inverse, right? If people are selling SaaS and need help, what if you're consuming a ton of SaaS? And that led to the start of a company called Blissfully, which was one of the first SaaS management companies. You might have even invented the term where we would automatically help IT teams figure out all the SaaS in their infrastructure so they can make sense of it, secure it, lower costs, whatever. That we raised money for, we got to several million in ARR, and we had an interesting fork in the road. And the right move was to team up with vendor and a kind of one plus one equals three. They were helping people lower costs on SaaS via negotiation. And we had some technology to, to determine SaaS, run workflows around it, et cetera. So vendor acquired Blissfully. I spent the last two years there as CTO leading all of product design and engineering and support. And that team at max was maybe 150 and help raise $150 million Series B a couple months after we closed the deal. Really a lot of exciting stuff, really great people, a lot learned very fast during sort of hyperscaling. But I left because I am pursuing starting an AI company. AI is the single most mind-blowing important technology since the invention of the network itself, in my opinion. And I just feel this so deep in my soul that the amount of transformation that's about to come is so extreme, it's almost unfathomable and hard to wrap your head around it, even as a believer. So I started a new company, tentatively called Appy People, but it may get a name change in the future. <laughs> it's very early. And yeah, I've got a strong point of view on what's coming and we might get into it a little bit later. Awesome. So fun fact, I also think another random Fareed Aaron fact, I think you're the first person who ever mentioned the concept of the singularity to me. And I remember the first time I heard it thinking, this is total bullshit. <laughs> <You're still> <laughs> <thinking> <laughs> like, I am much more agnostic, I think might be the word, or ambivalent towards the idea of the singularity. I believe it could be true or not be true. We should if let the audience know my personal domain is singularity.vc just to, to yeah. indicate my <laughs> level of belief in this. Yeah. So maybe for those who don't understand what it is, maybe you should do the, the 30-second version of what the, the singularity the, 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 the is. The 30-second spiel is if you map the rate of leverage of technology, and you can take it from the 1950s to today, or you can dial it back to the dawn of time, including like sort of molecular inventions, if you want to think about it that way. It's been on this exponential curve. 
And the moment when the curve becomes so steep that humans can no longer predict or even understand what happens beyond a certain point, that's called the singularity. And this was from a book called The Singularity is Near by Ray Kurzweil. He's actually coming out with the sequel, The Singularity is Nearer, which I think it lands later this year. And his prediction, I believe, was that this was going to happen around like 2049. I'm actually struggling to remember his prediction because I keep revising it down. It feels like we're accelerating here. Yeah. I think the point at which I went from this is science fiction to ambivalence, and I, I mean that in the most like concrete sense of the term, like I neither have a strong view for or against, I like believe it could be true. I believe the future is unknown was the moment I realized ChatGPT had only been in market for a year. Yeah. Like when they announced the birthday of it, I was like, whoa. Reflect like, on this all the thing change. has only been in the market for a year. And it feels like I it, like the world has completely changed in just 12 months, which I did not feel at the first birthday of the iPhone. It took like five years for that to really coalesce as, whoa, the world has deeply changed. And so that sort of got me into feeling this idea of acceleration and seeing the jump from three GPT-3 to GPT-4, what could GPT-5 bring? It's And the level of acceleration around how quickly new things have come. We'll talk about this in a second, but like video creation, image creation. I mean, we were in the era of, whoa, it's amazing that deep neural networks can identify people in photos better than they used to just a few years ago. And now we're at like generates text at hyperspeed, can generate speaking voices. I oh, can yeah. interact with an AI over multimodal different ways in ways that never seemed imaginable just a year ago. That was when I sort of shifted to, wow, the future is like deeply unpredictable. It, it, totally. And I think the the one refinement to the framing, it's like, you know, the future is not evenly distributed. Neither is the singularity, sort of by corollary. And your parents, their ability to follow along with tech was already strained. Now imagine trying to keep them up to date on it. That bar of, holy crap, I don't know what's going on, is going to hit people younger and younger and younger until there's no human who has any hope of understanding the world they're born into. So anyway, yeah, I'm a bit of a believer. I mean, even last Friday, there's a couple massive AI drops. You mentioned Sora already, but like Gemini 1.5, Grok, like, uh, it's hard to keep up. I'm fun employed right now as I start the new company effectively, and I'm having trouble keeping up in all the advancements. Yeah. And it's my full-time activity. It's just to follow this stuff. Yeah. So it's it's wild. So before we get into specific products, you've been creating a bunch of content, sharing your thoughts around this. I think it was a New Year's resolution or something of yours to yeah. like get your ideas out there a little bit more. And there are a couple of different concepts I think that you've coined, I think might be worth getting into. So first... There's one about just the the proliferation of content. I think you call this the great cacophony. What is that? Yeah, the great cacophony. So this one sort of follows really easily for me, which is the cost of content creation used to be the time it took for a human to create it, right? Whatever average human creating average content. And now with generative AI, it is trivial to spin up untold reams of content, whether it's voice, whether it's text, whether it's video now. It's only getting better and it's only getting cheaper. And so my expectation, what happens here is that every medium that you are fond of gets flooded with AI generated content. This is similar to dead internet theory for the other sci-fi nerds out there, but every text message, Reddit forum, email, X, discord, it doesn't matter where humans are. 
if you cannot prevent AI from getting in somehow, it's going to be flooded with this AI generated content. And the crazy part is it'll be so plausibly human that you won't know it. So it really just comes down to economics. Like the, the kind of the funny example I gave in the video was imagine you created a, you know, a hundred thousand dollar a year community for rich people, just as an example. Well, okay, great. We're going to keep, you know, AI hackers from spewing content in our private little community. But at some point, some private jet retailer is going to get a bright idea and throw an AI in to befriend rich people over the course of months, only to be like, hey, by the way, Fareed, do you want to buy a jet? And you're like, fuck, I've been, I've been, you know. I've been thinking about a jet. So that's, yeah, uh, yeah, like, like this thing just like <laughs> led me along. I thought I had a friend and it's an AI. So it's going to get really strange out there. And I think you yeah. can t- kind of smell an AI in comments on LinkedIn today. But soon I was just going to say that every time I post on LinkedIn now, there's a group of comments where I'm like, this is 100% AI generated. And then there's a group of comments where I'm like, this is 100% not AI generated. But then there's always a couple that are like in between. And I'm kind of like, that's going to expand. I don't, I don't know. So quick riff on this that I've been noticing X in particular, especially around very viral tweets in some of the like, clickbaity type accounts and those kinds of things. I have seen a just cacophony of re-summarizations of the original tweet or here's more information. You know, sometimes somebody will be like, the Earl of whatever sandwich like invented the sandwich in this year. And this is why it's interesting. And then there will be a bunch of reframings of the same thing with more information, et cetera, that are very clearly GPT generated, right? And I actually think that networks like X that do direct money payouts to creators for the numbers of likes, comments, replies, and views that they have are super incentivized to do this. So I actually think social proof will be the more important thing in a network. Even that is gameable by AI. But if you're paying dollars for views, if you can turn views into money, then your network is going to get overwhelmed by cheap content. And the level of personalization is kind of terrifying too. This will lead into your second thing. Yeah. But you think about what scammers do right now, right? Which is they just send everybody the same BS kind of messages. And they know that if they send enough of them, enough of them will hit. But what about a world where Nigerian print scammers can send you exactly the scam that you're most likely to find emotionally charged, that's kind of scary where they know a lot of information about you can tailor it right now. It's too expensive to do that. It's a game of numbers, but it's not going to be very expensive to do that soon. This is already happening. So there is somebody impersonating me on Instagram right now who's DMing people that I know. And they're basically taking my LinkedIn posts as fodder and they're creating AI like DMs using that content as something that I might say. And a couple of a couple of my friends found this and forwarded it to me because you know how we talked about Rabbit or like the R1 device yeah. or whatever is like the AI generated it like thought I was working on Rabbit and my friend was like wait a second I sent a few messages back and forth with this but I know you're oh not God. working on oh this like this yeah, like this is this is like literally happening right now. And of course, fucking Instagram won't take down that yeah, so account. But that's a that's a side note. That was that friend's jet moment when he finally it clicked like, crap, this is not Brian. So, you yeah. know, one one other interesting thing here before I lead into like the next fun convo on that. I think the directionality of the Internet's about to be reversed. Like, you know, it's like, like when pulls switch on a planet. 
right? It seems like if there's so much content generated, the only way to get through it is to use some sort of aggregator. Classically, that was Google, but it might flip to be something like a perplexity, right? Or an AI agent like Arc Browser and Arc Search. So in that world, right now you're using an AI to help you filter out this cacophony of messaging that can filter out and say, I know this isn't Brian's actual social because I've cross-referenced it here, here, and here. Like, I'll just filter that out. You never see it. So, you know, it creates problems, but there might be ways around it. If I can go into the personalization thing you alluded to, because it's like you can personalize for attack, right? To extract money from Brian via scamming him. But I can personalize AI to extract money from Brian by entertaining him in like increasingly unhealthy ways. So I call this the, the deep isolation. You know, with Sora... Right. You've seen these videos now. Imagine my wife loves Frasier and I, I love it too. What a, what a fun old show. You know, imagine it's like generative timeline. Like here are all the Frasier episodes and I just drag out the slider to generate 200 more. Why not? Right. Like that is coming in our lifetime, probably in this decade where you can just create compelling content based off stuff you've already seen. In that world, I might be 7,000 episodes into, you know, Aaron's flavor of Frasier and say, Hey, Brian, I would love to talk to you about this. And you're going to go, Dude, what are you talking about? I, I've never even heard of that. Meanwhile, you're on season 27 of your flavor of Battlestar Galactica, right? Which doesn't exist, but it does for you. And so as we have increasingly tailored content for our preferences, our shared memetic slash culture just starts eroding. And then you start becoming increasingly isolated. So you know, people have already postulated the rise of things like the Instagram or TikTok where the content's auto-generated for your preferences based on how you interact with it up until it's not even coming from creators. It's just the AI spitting up stuff it thinks you're going to enjoy consuming, right? Like that's going to happen. Part of the value of content and like media and specific like big shows and big movies is the social value, right? I think about like Game of Thrones and the social value I got out of that by being part of a group of people that I could talk to about it every single week. It it increased my enjoyment and that social value is actually separate from my own personal value, right? And so I guess what you're saying is that actually the the personal value I get out of it trumps the social yes. value. So it doesn't really matter that I lose that part of like it'll, it'll eclipse curve. that. I mean, yeah. I, here's the, the litmus test. Are there any things you enjoy that you don't really have friends you interact with around? And I'm the answer, sure. yeah. Yeah, right? Like, I play yeah. video games I never talk to others about. I read books that I never <clears> talk to <throat> others about. And if that's true, then it just means that content's particularly compelling for me and it's particularly bespoke and it's compelling enough I don't care, I can't socialize. So I would expect more of that. Also, you want to get even weirder. I mean, maybe you just like fire up your Game of Thrones AI MMO and drop in and like, Hey, you know, what were you thinking, John, here in this interaction with Daenerys? This didn't make any sense to me. Oh, let me tell you, right? And like, maybe that's more compelling than your friends. I don't know. This one I struggle with a little bit because I just feel like we are social beings, you know, like down to our core, right? And where this just eventually leads to is eroding all social connection that we have, right? Which I think is your stage three. (laughs) My question though is, I think we have a clearer view of how the technology, at least in the next three to five years, will evolve. And to be fair, humans have not done a good job of evolving quickly, but we don't know how we're going to change in what we value because of this. It is absolutely certain that there will be a version of TikTok that it'll start with creators just generating, oh, 
people click on like ski videos of people crashing and there aren't enough of them in the world. Let me generate a million ski crashes or car crash or whatever they are. Right. I'm just trying to think of the like things I've seen recently the that bodies falling out of coffins of for, I think what, we should leave fans, you know? Yeah. Whatever it is. And there will be creators who do that. And then eventually there will be products that do that. And eventually there will be networks totally driven around that. I think it's much worse than there will be 15 seasons of Battlestar Galactica. I think it's going to be like the cross section of fast dopamine hit two to five second videos plus hyper personalization, which already happens on these networks. It's just going to accelerate. And we've seen the effect it has on kids, on their social engagement, et cetera. It's pretty clear that these things have isolated folks. The question will be what changes about us? And I know this sounds very philosophical. The reason I think about this a little bit is I listened to the Hermes episode of Acquired. I don't know if you guys have listened to it yet. I'm halfway through. And what's so interesting about some of these luxury brands, in particular Hermes, is you can look at it as a reaction to what has been devalued because of the industrial revolution. They don't really get into this, but it's like mass production allowed everyone to get really great stuff, but there was always a group of people and we all end up valuing it, whether we can afford it or not. Something built by hand in a really complicated way with really high craftsmanship. And so my question will be, will we end up valuing human created stuff in some weird, irrational way because of the cacophony? And how will that change society? I I can't answer that question. Will it just be old people who like it or will like it suddenly be really cool? There's always human created stuff, you know, or whatever. There's always that counterculture. Definitely going in a weird direction. Yeah. Yeah. This is my fault, right? This is I socially engineered my way on here and now you have to suffer. There's always a counterculture to any like strong movement, right? No matter what big thing happens, there's always the people that, that react and say no. Like take the iPhone. Everybody's got an iPhone these days, but now you're seeing these feature only phones come out as a counter reaction to sort of rebalance away from the colorful dopamine hits to just call and text people, right? So, yeah. you know, in the same way people still have horses, I agree with you. People will value human-generated yeah. stuff. DS- DSLR cameras. Yeah, but it's horses, such a subset, whatever right? It yeah. So it's like the, the bulk of society is one thing. And two things that I wanted to drop. One, and I think you guys probably have the numbers in this that I don't, but have you seen the success of character AI in terms of users yeah. and retention? Why? Because it's hyper-personalized interpersonal experience between you and an AI, Right. And for a lot of people, that is plenty compelling such that they're spending an absurd amount of time on that platform. That is an example of the deep isolation kind of forming. And and to get back to the technicals here, I think the reason AI is so captivating and so crazy and hard to understand its implications, it implements what I call the people protocol. It can read like a human. It can write like a human. It can hear what humans say. It can speak like humans do. It can draw and make video like humans do. And it can understand drawings and videos like humans do. And so that makes it a perfect plugin to wherever humans either interact with the world or software or to each other. And that's just like a such a crazy new thing. We really, we have a hard time predicting what comes after that because it, it becomes perfectly substitutable. And it's like, you know, why is Tesla, why are they making these humanoid robots? Because the world was designed for humans. If you make a humanoid robot platform, your robot has max applicability in every situation once you get the costs and the controls working. It's the same thing for AI. We're in the cost and the controls 
era, but we know it can interact with the human world via its people protocol. That's mind-blowing. Okay, just to recap here. Okay, stage one was called... Great Cacophony. The Great the great Cacophony. Stage two is the Great Isolation. Deep Isolation. Stage deep Isolation. The Deep Isolation. The de- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Deep Isolation. Stage three is... Well, we didn't really get into that. I don't have a great name for this, and we didn't come up with it before the, the podcast, but the weird re-relation, let's call it that. So one thing that's happening today, strange as hell, is that you're getting AI BDRs to like look at someone's profile, tailor their company's message to their profile, fire off an email or maybe a voice message soon, right? To try to really take that, like, here's what the business has to offer. Let me remix it through the lens of what I think you're going to respond to. And weirdly enough, on my end, I've got tools that summarize my emails using AI to take out the BS so I can just get to the heart of the matter. So you've got this idea of a thing on one end going through this AI decompressor to go back to an AI compressor for me to experience some flavor of that message. So we don't even have to speak the same language. I don't have to understand your values. You don't have to understand mine. We might have AI bridging everything in between us. So maybe the upside here is when I say, hey, Brian, did you like episode you know 502 in your Battlestar? Because it's very similar to episode 3021 in my Frasier. And the AI can kind of confirm that for us. So you start getting into weird sci-fi stuff, but I, I think the takeaway is it's going to be wild. And I actually think things that sound crazier are going to be more real sooner than a lot of people, I think, give it credit for. Wow. Sorry. Sorry to get strange on you. It's not strange. It's depressing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it, but to put it in like a business software context... And then we're about to talk about some AI startups. If you have AI generating a, a crap ton of SEO pages for you, and then I'm using Arc Search on the other end to compress all that down, that is a microcosm of this phenomenon happening today. Yeah. Like, oh, that's real. Yeah. Yeah. And begs the question, why bother with the whole mess of expansion and then recompression and then retargeting? Maybe it's because we're trying to fit it into these existing things. The joke is like, I write three bullet summaries. I ask ChatGPT to expand it into a doc. Then I send the doc to Brian and Brian asks ChatGPT to compress it down. Now, what's the worst thing about this as people, if you've ever done the compress, recompress, compress, recompress like game on images and other things is it's lossy. Not in every case, but there are ways in which it can be. And, and LLMs are absolutely lossy, right? They lose clarity. You do not get the same bullets I wrote right? When I expand it and then you compress it back down. So Brian is now hearing, and even worse, if he's trained his GPT to tell him things the way he wants to hear them, and I've trained mine to communicate in the way I like to communicate, everyone's hearing the version of the story that they want to hear or have trained things to hear. So he has actually not heard what I have said. That's the concerning piece of this. Unfortunately, that's just what happens as humans right now. I feel like we... we But now you're adding... If you think AIs as people, apps as people, right? You're actually adding more telephone. We have gone from a one-to-one communication, me emailing you a doc, to me sending someone, a synthetic someone, something who then turns it into something they think the human will like, but actually it's their synthetic person who takes it and does it. So now a two-step communication is now a four-step communication. Now you think of this at scale, and now it's like a hundred-step communication because I generate a million SEO pages and then you used your browser to turn those into one summary. And so now we have a lot of different things. 
And it does beg the question, why wouldn't I just send Brian the three bullet points? <laughs> you know what I mean? And whether that will be the shorthand for how people communicate. Maybe it'll popularize terse, authentic messages in the same yeah. way as an Hermes bag or a horse. Uh, I mean, you know, probably the, the real answer here is it all comes down to math. And while you might just decide to do that, people who are doing this you know, with all these intermediaries have slightly better conversion of things that are economically sound transactions, right? And, and thus the sort of physics of the machine keep growing us. doesn't mean it's comfortable for us in the middle. It doesn't mean it's not strange as hell, but you yeah. know, it's weird and it's kind of happening. All right. We're going to pause the conversation right there on part one of our episode with Aaron White, but we'll be back in just a couple of days with part two. Please tune in. 